Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Patricia Gallagher, otherwise known locally as the Flower Lady. Tricia is a motivational speaker, author of 30 books, volunteer extraordinaire. She's been a guest on Oprah Winfrey talking about her books and her team of angels project. And she's been on many, many TV shows, early morning talk shows, many, many. And she was one of my earliest guests on episode number 19 of kick-ass boomers. So welcome Trish. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Terry. Good. So Trisha, Recently, you stepped out of your comfort zone to experience an adventure in visiting Bolivia, South America. Tell us how that trip came about. It came about in November. One morning, I got up and it was like 6.15 and I couldn't get back to sleep. And I never wake up that early. And I remember that a friend told me that she goes to 7.15 a.m. mass at the local Catholic church. I thought, oh, heck, I'm awake. I'll go to that mass. And my friend was there. We went out to breakfast and we went to lunch, not breakfast. And the next day I went, we took a walk. And then the next day I went, she wasn't there. And I thought, oh, I already went to the mass. Let me sit around for the rosary or whatever these ladies are doing. And they were all about my age and I was a newcomer. And one lady said, are you retired? And I just thought, I don't know the right answer because I've been an entrepreneur all my life. I'm embarrassed to just say, I don't know if I'm retired. And I said, well, I work on a project as a volunteer with the Hispanic community in Norristown. And there was one lady in the group and she was from Bolivia and she was about 65 and she spoke Spanish, of course, but she's lived here a million years. And she turned to me and she said, well, I'm going to Bolivia now. She said, but when I come back in three months, maybe I can help you as a translator. And I said, oh, can you fit me in your suitcase? (laughs) (laughs) And she just laughed. And then she said, well, maybe someday you can come or something like that. And then we parted ways. So I would say that conversation was two minutes. And then I immediately got a passport (laughs) and I expedited (laughs) it. And I had it. I had it in a week. And I went back to the in a week. That's pretty amazing. It was really amazing. It was unbelievable. The universe is working with you on this. (laughs) (laughs) So then I went back to mass about a week later, two weeks later. I don't know. And I saw the rosary group and I said, oh, where's the lady? Where's her name was Delia. And they said, oh, she went to Bolivia until the end of February. But in my heart, I knew I was going to Bolivia. Maybe not with her. But I had this bee in my bonnet. I am going to Bolivia. So much so that when I was at a royal farms, there was a Hispanic lady. And I said, what country are you from? And she said, Bolivia. And I said, I'm going there. And she said, you are? I knew I was going there, but I had no formal invitation. So that's that was the background. 
And of course, I went back to the church in March because I knew she was coming back in February. <laughs> and I thought, I don't really even remember her name. I don't think I know what she looked like. I know she was very short. I know she had long hair. I know she was wearing a skirt that day because I felt like she was going to work. And then when I went back mid-March, I looked around the church and I saw her. <laughs> and after mass, I went up to her and I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, hi, Delia, I'm Patricia. She said, yeah. I said, how's your mother? Because she was taking care of her mother with dementia for three months. And she said, oh, she's fine. I'm going back. I'm going back on April 2nd. And I said, really? I said, how much is it for the airfare? And she said, oh, about eight fifty. And I said, do you know how much it would be for like a bed and breakfast for a month? And she said, do you want to come? And I said, well, I have to know how much things are. And she goes, oh, no, you'd stay with my family. And then that was that was two weeks later. She and I were on a plane April 2nd for almost three weeks, staying with her wonderful family. Wow. So you jumped right on on this. I, and <laughs> it, it's almost like the universe put this together for you, because how unusual is it that you took the, first of all, that you went to mass when you woke up early, something <laughs> said to you, just go to church. And you did. Mm -hmm. You followed your instincts, your intuition. And then you immediately got your passport, which was also mm -hmm. great. Because if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have been able to take advantage of her invitation. Right. So right. you did all the right things. And I think in life, um, sometimes people don't realize that these little steps take us to big adventures. But if you hadn't done that, you would have missed the big adventure. So something yes. inside your heart was telling you, get your passport, get prepared, because you knew you were going. And I didn't know if I was going with her, but I knew I knew I'd been to Ecuador. I knew I'd been to Mexico. And just it sounded so remote and exotic. I just liked the sound of Bolivia and I knew nothing about it. I mean, nothing. Um, wow. So how was it staying with a local family like that? I mean, I saw pictures of your trip from on LinkedIn and all look right. wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, let me go back to, did I know her a little bit better? Because after I came home and told my family, I'm going to Bolivia, they all went, you're going where? With who? <laughs> Why? What? Are you, my friend, I, I'm so concerned. You're crazy. You can't go. Do you know what it's like in these countries, these third world? You're in danger. And somehow that didn't phase me because I trusted this lady. She right. said she had been going to mass every morning at 715 for like a zillion years. And that's all I knew about her. Right. And then I said to her at the end of the trip, why did you trust me to bring me a stranger into your family for three weeks? And she said, when you first sat down with the rosary group, you said to the group, I'm so glad to be in this church because this is where my children were baptized. And my parents and grandparents and everybody I loved was on that altar. Hmm. And she said, when she heard me say that, she felt like, she felt like I was a good person that she could trust. Right, right. So, because it was trust on both sides. Right. And then April 2nd came. Let's see. So I met her the first time for like one second, you know, <laughs> back in November. And then the second conversation at the church with the invitation might have been eight minutes. So that's about, you know, that's not knowing anybody very long. No. I didn't, I didn't know her last name or anything. <laughs> Now I but know I, why your kids thought you were crazy. <laughs> but I knew 
I knew where she lived, the development. I knew her husband was a postdoc at a big pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. I knew she worked at a pharmaceutical company, recently retired. I felt like I knew her. And then I said, can we go out to breakfast sometime? Like before the trip, I just like to know anything. And when we went out to breakfast, another lady from the Rosary Group came along. So we really didn't talk at all about the Bolivian trip. We were talking about pets and kids and schools and stuff like that. So I I didn't know her. And when it came time to go to the airport, we both live in the same area. But I didn't say, let's ride together. She didn't say, let's ride together. (laughs) And so we met at the airport sitting on the two vinyl chairs and we just clicked and we never stopped talking. We never stopped enjoying each other's company. And when I got to Bolivia to her family, they're the well-off people and they live behind the gated community. Mm-hmm. So they had maids. Her father had built the, the town, the, the village school and the village clinic a long time ago. So they were the esteemed, but very helpful people. But right outside their door, were the dirt roads and the cows and the horses and the chickens and people cooking rabbits and very, 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 very poor. Um, But I lived behind the gate and their family lived in this big house they called El Campo, the farm. But I had my own house, a three minute walk from there that was refurbished four years ago. So I lived in a beautiful little cottage that had all brand new appliances, like anything you would see in a new home in this in our area. You know, the silver refrigerator. And in the morning, they would bring me bottled water or a parfait or yogurt of some sort. But the most amazing thing, Terry, was that this family of about nine people, adults in their 60s, with grandma who was 94, they ate breakfast together at eight. They ate lunch together at noon. They had prayer from 3 to 3.30, the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Then they had a siesta, and at times they had a a dinner. But these were all full meals with everybody in attendance laughing and talking and loving each other. And the most striking was, of all the things I saw on that trip, I saw Inca ruins, I saw gardens, was the way they revered and honored 94-year-old Mamacita, Filomeno. Every single meal, they touched her face. They hugged her. Mom, do you need a sweater? Do you want more tea? She was the most important person in that room for three weeks. Wow. And you know what? We need to get back to that as well. I remember in the 50s, we at least always had dinner as a family. We did. We all sat down. And I'm one of 11 kids. So it was 13 people around the table every night. My mother used to have to make like five pounds of potatoes a night almost to feed all of us. It was a lot of work. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. But we did. We had dinner every night. And as we got older, once in a while, the kids in high school wouldn't be able to make it because they were in sports or something. But for the most part, I remember dinners every night as a family and it was wonderful. And Thanksgiving, oh my God, Thanksgiving would be the extended family and our family. And we would have so many people in one house and around one table. It was amazing. And like you said, the energy is so positive and so wonderful. And we're losing that because we don't even sit down as individual families anymore to eat dinner. We're grabbing McDonald's meals and driving the kids to different sports things. We never sit down as a family anymore. 
That, that I agree totally. But, you know, I was with them for three weeks and they couldn't fake anything. This was all genuine yep. love. If we were driving in the truck or the car on a four-hour trip to the mountains or wherever, whoever was in that car, it was usually my friend Delia, her wonderful sister, Nemia, who was from Argentina, and Nemia's son, Jorge, who's an industrial engineer. And by the way, the, these people, these kids, these families are all educated, successful, clean living. I never saw wine or beer or anything at a dinner table, at a party. It was just so wholesome. Yeah. Um, but even in the van for four hours or the car or whatever we were driving in, those three never stopped talking and laughing and enjoying each other. Like, I just found that so remarkable. Nobody was looking out the window or looking at their phone or reading a book. They were constantly talking to each other. And I think it's because they've spent so much time together enjoying a meal at eight in the morning, at noon, a prayer. And I just was so struck by by how they honored each other and loved each other. Absolutely. And the and in this country, our young people don't even know how to converse at all, not even with each other. Everything's text. They could be sitting in the same room and they're texting each other instead of talking. So mm -hmm. we really need to be able to find a way to get back to conversing with one another. And we've just we just don't do it anymore. But it is a part of keeping yourself healthy, that that connection with your family and the laughter, all of it is so mm -hmm. important to staying healthy. And maybe that's why as a nation, we're a lot sicker than other nations are. Overall, we're a lot sicker. Mm. I, I, I know what you're saying. There was one experience that I'll never forget. Uh, we were staying at a boutique hotel in the mountains and it was just I didn't pay for anything, Terry. They oh. wouldn't let me pay for anything. I paid my airfare and my insurance, you know, health insurance as a special policy. Right. And even at the end, when I wanted to give them money, they wouldn't accept it. The only thing I did is I left um, $20 for each maid. So three maids and $20 for a young woman who was turning 13 in the family. Mm -hmm. But on this trip to the mountains, it was like a big German chalet and we were living room, dining room, but we, the bedroom had bunk beds and a queen size bed and we were all in one room. And one morning, the two sisters decided they were going to go to mass and Jorge was going to drive them at 630 in the morning. So granny was staying with me and she was in her bed and I was on my bunk bed. And I looked over and I had my eyes open. Nobody knew I was watching. And the one sister just laid in bed and was rubbing the mother's face and rubbing her arms, putting the blanket around, and speaking softly, almost like I didn't know what they were saying. They were right near me. But I just said, look at this Delia. Look at the love. And it went on for 15 minutes of mommy, mama, 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 mama. But it was like tender. She got up and she was dressed. She went out the door. I thought, okay, I guess they've all gone to mass now. The other sister came in. She's 64. She sat next to the mother and got some pink lotion. And she was, this is six in the morning. She's rubbing the lotion on the mother. She's rubbing it on her arms and legs. And she's cooing. I mean, speaking softly. And then she kind of cuddled with, got in bed with the mother. And they were just like, you could see they were just whatever. I thought here, nobody knows somebody is watching them. But I will never, ever 
ever forget so much love. I think if I were going to mass, I'd be tiptoeing out so my mother wouldn't wake up or something right. like that. <laughs> it would never occur to me to s- surround her with just love. And when they came back, I asked Delia about it. And she said, my mother has dementia at times. And she thinks we're her little children. And she wants to cuddle and talk to us as if we're little children. She said, so I told my sister Nemia, go along with it. Right. And and that's what they did. They They were saying loving things. And she was saying loving things. And they were tucking each other in. Mother was tucking these adults, 64 and 65. And they were tucking her in. Can you... I mean, I'm so touched by that. Absolutely. I don't think you would see that in this country. You know, I just now I, I will say I have um, an aunt that had a stroke and was in a hospital bed for three years. And her daughter-in-law, her son, too, but he was working. But the daughter-in-law and the grandson took such wonderful care of my aunt, would rub her with lotion every day so she wouldn't get any bed sores, turn her over. They had to feed her. They had to change her diaper. This went on for three years, which is really, really difficult to do. That is the only time I've ever seen that kind of love here. (laughs) And they took such good care of her. Um, Mm -hmm. but she was, and again, she was kind of an invalid. She wasn't really talking at that point, Um, but they did. They took wonderful care of her. But usually when people have dementia, we just want to put them in a home of some kind. We want to get them away from us because we feel like, you know, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not, not in that family. And they were, they were one of, she was one of nine. So there's nine brothers and sisters ages, maybe 59 to 70 at this point. Right. But each one of those brothers and sisters or, or most of them contacted me. One lives in Chicago. She sent me some messages. They stayed in touch. Um, I was disappointed that I didn't know as much Spanish as I thought I did. Like I, (laughs) I had in high school, I had it here, I had it there, but for the past two years, I've been watching a lot of stuff on YouTube, trying to learn Spanish, I guess around COVID. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, I thought that I was going to be able to sit and listen to their conversations. <laughs> but these four hour rides and, and sitting at the dining room table, I just thought, do I look to the right? Do I look to the left? Do I smile? What do I do? Like, I don't understand what they're saying. Right. And I felt bad. And on day five, I had to give myself a pep talk and say, you know what? Your Spanish is good enough. You're good enough. You yep. took a trip to with somebody you don't know. You knew nothing about the accommodations. You knew nothing about the culture. You did it. And then I just said to myself, okay, I'm not here to learn Spanish, but this experience was an adventure of my life that I will never forget. And I will never forget each of the people. I can picture each face that was so loving and kind to me, and they just wanted to show me their beautiful country. Oh, and it it is beautiful. Some of the pictures I saw on LinkedIn, it's a beautiful country. We don't know a lot about Bolivia here, you know, in our area. We just don't hear about it. I don't know anyone who's from there, but you actually got to go there and experience it and experience the culture and the people, which is really, really beautiful. Well, I experienced three levels of culture in a way, them living behind the gate and they were privileged and educated and, you know, but right over the gate were the poorest of the poor. And then at times we went to the city 
And the city would just be like Philadelphia or Norristown. You know, it, and I lived in a villa there with one of the sisters. And the rest of the family stayed with me. You know, it was the grandmother. We, the whole, the four of us were, tra- we did we did a lot of traveling together. Delia, her sister, Jorge, the driver, wow. and the grandma. <laughs> but I lived and when I was in the rural area, they said, watch where you walk when you're walking back to your little cottage. And I said, why? And they said, snakes. And I said, big or little? And they said, both. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was one time the cow was in the kitchen. I mean, there's not a cow, like a bull. Oh had, because these cows are just wandering all around the property. And then there's an ostrich on the property. And he's part of the family, too. And there were just so many amazing experiences. And people think, oh, Bolivia is a third world country. I mean, I've heard people say things like that. Mm-hmm. Those people would be so insulted to hear that anybody was saying that because that isn't true. There's poor areas there, like there's poor areas here, but right. there's universities, there's hospitals, there's doctors. When I was in the city of Santa Cruz, I mean, that's what it's like walking around Philadelphia. Like It would be so insulting for people to think that the people of Bolivia are behind in some way. They're not. They're not. It was, no. They're they're beautifully and even in the church, all the church people, ladies in the church and the kids and all, they all dressed exactly like you and I. I mean, I think I even saw a couple of my blouses on those ladies. And the <laughs> and even in the and this was in the the rich church in the city. Mm-hmm. But even in the poor church in the city, the children had pink and purple and the kind of clothes our kids wore and teenagers and everybody had a cell everybody had a cell phone right. in the poor area they're all you know not everybody but you know you'd see the teenagers on their phone playing games and i'm going they have cell phones here yep i'll tell you even in china i went to china in 2004 when there really oh. weren't a lot of cell phones but um all the chinese have cell phones now they all do and and there's areas that are very very poor as well but they all even the poorest of the poor have cell phones now which is good in some ways but not good in others i mean it does open up their world so that they can be connected with more of us but it's also bad in the way that you get stuck you get um what's the word you're just uh you're using it too much and you're yeah. not talking to other people. So once you get a cell phone in your hand, there's so much to do. And, you know, and and you just tend to be on the cell phone and no longer talking to other people. So it does have its drawbacks. We have to learn to deal with that. And, yeah. and you know, at the dinner table, the cell phones get put away. When you go out to dinner, the cell phones get put away. Yeah. So we just went out mm-hmm. for my husband's birthday on May the 1st. And we said all the cell phones get put away. No cell phones. If it rings, mm. ignore it. So uh. I think people have to get a little stricter about that. It's all about communicating and being with one another. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna we're going to lose that if we don't put the cell phones away at least part of the time, at least during mealtime. And have more mealtimes together. You know, the Italians that that I know from the Philadelphia area, because we do have a lot of Italians from South Philly and in all the suburbs. My friends that I grew up with, they always got together for a Sunday dinner with their whole family, their their, um, you know, brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. And Mm -hmm. I just think that's wonderful. They stayed in touch. We would do it um, whenever there was a holiday. We would have a big party. Right. 
together, but they do that every Sunday. There's a family dinner and everybody goes. So they do stay in touch, which I think is wonderful. I love that idea. I just, I just love that idea, Terry. Yeah, I think it really is a good idea and it keeps us connected and we're losing that connection. And when you lose the connection with your family members, then you lose it with everyone. And then we're not empathetic anymore. And we don't understand what other people are going through because we're not even empathetic with our own families. Once you lose that connection, it's really tough. It really is. I agree. I have one sister that has five children and she's been doing that weekly family dinner yep. for forever. And the kids all come, the adult kids and their spouses and everything. Yep. I've seen them cook together. They clean up together. Then they watch football together. It's it's beautiful. I, yeah. I wanted to share one other thing that was striking to me. It was Good Friday and we were living behind the gate and they said we were going to the church, which is the village church. Mm-hmm. And in the village church, there were cats, there were dogs. There were, it was just a little village church. And I thought, what's happening? Why are we waiting here at 9 o'clock? And finally at 9.30, I said to Delia, can, can I talk? And she said, what? <laughs> and she said, I, and I went up in front of the church with all these people. Oh and I don't, know, I don't know what happened to me, but I started saying, Thank you so much for your hospital in Spanish. Thank you so much for your hospitality. I love everything about Bolivia. Until a week ago, I didn't even know anything about it. And I kept going on. And then I walked up and down the pews like I was a priest holding their hand and thanking them. And my friends are laughing and recording it. And I came back and they said, we didn't know you spoke Spanish. And I said, I didn't know either. The words just came out. <laughs> I was so shocked. Oh my God. And then everybody applauded, you know, clapped their hands and everything. Well, then we went outside because what we were, that was kind of the waiting area because they were going out to do the stations of the cross on the dirt road. And each house had an altar that they had made for this. So there's a table with the Blessed Mother and a candle. Then there's Jesus. And then there were men that carried the big cross, like Jesus. Then there was another group of people carrying a tomb of Jesus. And they went, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, about 150, 200 people, men, women, and children, and old people, were going in the dark with candles from house to house doing the 14 stations of the cross. Oh, my goodness. It was so beautiful. I mean, I stopped at station number seven. <laughs> I thought, you know, this is going on a long time. Right, right. <laughs> it's exhausting, right? <laughs> <laughs> and just, it was so beautiful to see each person's individual altar that they set up for Good Friday. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I, I think in a lot of the, in Europe too, those small towns used to do that years ago. I think they still oh. do But, um, you know, growing up, I remember I grew up in the Catholic Church and we always had a May procession for Mary. That was always a big deal and just so much fun. And I don't know if they still do that. I'm not sure. I haven't seen a lot of it anymore. I I just saw one last week at St. Helena's. So May processions are alive and well at the St. Helena's in Bluebell, not your St. Helena's. Right, right. St. Helena's in Blue. Great. I'm glad to hear that because they're they're always so much fun. And, you know, we've got to keep these traditions alive because that is the glue that holds us together the traditions 
So whether yeah. it's the Catholic church or another church, another religion, doesn't matter. The traditions of the families and if you have a religion, that's what holds everyone together. So it is important. Mm-hmm. I think, Terry, another thing is after I got my confidence standing in front of the church, <laughs> I said to her the next day, I said, can I go to the school and talk to the kids? And she said, yeah. So we went Gosh. to the school, very primitive school, no computers, no labs, but their textbooks, I'm looking at the textbook, there was physics and math that I would never know. Wow. And But the thing is, these kids go through the school and they're smart and they wear uniforms. When I walked into that classroom, the entire class in this very primitive school that looked like, I don't know what, you know, old, old, the children all stood up and said, good morning, senora. Oh. And when I left, they got up. Thank you, senor. Just like the old Catholic school. Good morning, father. Right. Good morning, sister. Right. And then I was channeled again. <laughs> and I don't know how. I probably said the same thing I had said the night before. Right. But I said it to a new group. And then I said, what do you know about the United States? And one kid said, 9-11. And of course, he'd know nothing about 9-11. I mean, he didn't live at that time. These kids were, you know, 14 years old. Right. And then the other thing is all the people in America are rich. And That's then what they another, think. yeah. Yep. And then the other kids said, well, this was the, uh, an older person said, the school shootings. Yeah. Yeah. So there are three things. And then in the afternoon, so I talked to the kids a little bit and just asked them questions. And in the afternoon, I went to the kindergarten class, but it was International or Bolivian Children's Day or something like that. So the people from the big city, it would be like somebody in the suburbs going to a city parish. They brought cakes and cookies and balloons, and they had a big party for these kids. So with the older kids, I was going into their classroom with the little ones, it was just like I was going into this big party. And <laughs> it was it was it was so cute. I asked the teacher if they would sing me a song and they sang songs. And I just went from kid to kid, like shaking their hand. I was so glad that I had those experiences. And then then I just and in the beginning, I didn't feel safe walking around by myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I didn't want to be, get a lot of sun anyway because I've skin, had skin cancer. But I also thought, am I safe to walk around this village? And my friend said, I saw a little two-year-old. I said, is that kid by themselves? And she goes, yeah. She said, they walk by themselves. Everybody knows each other. And I said, well, I don't lock my door in the cottage. And she goes, you don't have to lock your door here. She said. Nobody takes it, not anything that doesn't belong to them. Wow. Child, money, my passport, my wallet, like no need to lock anything is how she felt. Mm -hmm. And then after she said that, and after I met the people in the church and met the kids in the school, then every day I did walk around the village and would just stop and have a, a, a soda or sometimes people invited me into their house for a meal and I went. <laughs> Um, I, I did. I just, yeah, you should. That's great. Because it would be an insult for you not to. For yeah. you to say no to them, they would feel like that was an insult. So you're our connection to the, the, their connection to the United States. So I think that yeah. was great. And you know what? They couldn't miss me because I'm almost six feet tall and I'm a white lady <laughs> right. with blonde hair. <laughs> you know, and they were familiar with me because I spoke in front of the church. All those people were there and the school. I didn't know them. But when I walked down the street, they knew I was an outsider. 
a couple yes. of them wanted to take their picture. And I said, can I take my picture with you? Um, it, it was just magnificent, Tari, in every single way. And I think it was just as valuable to them, you coming, as it was to you going there and experiencing that. So it's a win-win all the way around. And think of it, if you had been afraid, like like your kids, like, oh, how can you go there? Aren't you afraid? Then you wouldn't have gone and you would have missed out on all those wonderful experiences. Mm-hmm. One of my daughters, before I went, she said, mom, can you come over on Saturday morning? I got you some security devices. And she, she first of all, she got me things so I wouldn't get sick on the plane, some kind of ginger candy. And she's so thoughtful. But she got me an alarm for my pocketbook that I would just pull this pin. Right. Of course, that, that was so sensitive. It went off in the airport. Oh. It went off everywhere that I went. Um, and then she said, Mom, 911 is the emergency here, but the emergency number for Bolivia is this number. They, they just wanted to make sure that I was safe. And I was, I was never in any danger. Yeah. I can understand that because again, we don't know a lot about other. No. So I can totally get that. You're their mother. They don't want anything happening to you. So, um, but now that you came back and told us how safe it was and how wonderful it was, other people might be more open to taking trips like that. It's no different than just saying I'm going to Philadelphia. And you go to Philadelphia, and if you went way up in some other part of the United States, there'd be people that were living like these people. But they were happy. They were gracious. They were affectionate. Yeah, they were wonderful. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I followed my father's old saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah. And he used to say that all our life. And we thought, what is he? I don't even know what ventured meant, you know, as a kid. Right. But then right now I'm thinking. If I hadn't ventured, I wouldn't have had or gained this, these memories that I'll always hold close to my heart. No. And it's just so wonderful. And you follow your intuition from the beginning. You knew you were meant to go there. Even before that invitation came, you knew Mm -hmm. you followed up, you got your passport. A lot of people Mm -hmm. wouldn't have done that. The fact that you got the passport in one week to me is unbelievable because it was unbelievable. Yeah, I've gotten passports. I think I was renewing my passport the last time, and it still took three or four weeks to get. Yeah, I was renewing it, and I yeah. got it. In a, I got it in a week when it said it would take four to six weeks. The the interesting thing too is, you know, I was doing the flowers for a million years since 2013. Right. But in February, I just said I'm not doing them anymore, oh. and I just really said, I really said this. God, I need an adventure. See that? And a friend called from Minneapolis out of the clear blue. And she said, hey, Mark and I would love you guys, you you to come out. She said, I'll get you a ticket. She did this once before. And I said, okay. So we planned this trip to Minneapolis for June. And then like the day after I got second invitation to Bolivia. So I called her and said, can we postpone that until July? It was really like a prayer answered. See I that? know it doesn't work that way. I don't. It does I don't work know. that way. Ask it? and it will be given unto you. But uh, we don't ask and we don't put out what we really want. And then a lot of people are just afraid. Like that adventure would have come to some people and they would have been too afraid to go. But you weren't, which I think mm-hmm. is is really great. I, I did do something like an old lady, <laughs> like a like a boomer, like a. 
geezer, whatever elderly person on the way down. It was so complicated. I could never have gone without her with the layovers in Brazil and Miami and the visa and all that stuff. Right. And I said, I won't be able to navigate all these layovers and the nine hour flight and the four hour flight and another three hour flight. So I, I said to my daughter, will you call the airline and get me a wheelchair? Said somebody will greet me because trying to navigate these airports to yes. me, not speaking Portuguese in Brazil, not speaking enough Spanish. Right. And they were like, I'm not sure what New York airports were like, but you had to take an elevator and you had to take a tram car and you had to take whatever. Right. But l- luckily, when I got off the plane, um, there was a wheelchair and that took me to the right terminal. And then the next place, took me- I, I uh, honestly couldn't have navigated all that myself. And I think that's wonderful. You shouldn't feel bad about that. I was in uh, I went to Nashville for a podcast conference, um, like not last year, but the year before. And I couldn't find that one gate that I was supposed to go to. So I went over to someone and I said, can you put me in that chair and take me? Because I was going to be late. I was going to be late. And I had all this luggage. I couldn't carry it all. So he did. He put me in the chair. We piled everything on top of me. And he pushed me and I made it to my plane. I never would have made it otherwise. (laughs) We can't feel bad about these things. You know, when I was younger, maybe I could have done it. I can't now. So no. even though I'm very, very mobile, it's still, it was a big airport and yes. I got lost. So I was yes. willing to do it. So that's how, that's how I was feeling. Yeah. One other thing that was interesting is I had, before I went, I bought a lot of blouses, summer clothes and everything like that. And I had a lot of costume jewelry and I thought I want to give them something. I want to give the people, the village or whatever. Right. And I looked at all my blouses and I washed them. I had a washer down there and I hung them and I was folding them in my suitcase. And I thought, I'm going to ask one of the employees of the home if she would like the blind, uh, the shirts. And I didn't care whether she wore them, whether she sold them, whether she gave them to a friend, right. whether somebody made curtains. And she couldn't believe that I was really giving her these nice things. But I wanted to leave something behind. Right. Because... She was so helpful to me. She wasn't a maid. She wasn't a maid, but another lady was. And then when I started to give my jewelry away, you know, just costume jewelry like this, I gave them to the village. I gave a little bit to the ladies where I was staying. And then I went to the village the last couple of days and I bought lollipops and passed them out to the kids. (laughs) My friend's husband, uh, boyfriend or husband, it was a pilot. And he had given me a box of all those hotel-sized shampoos and soaps and everything like that. And I had Play-Doh. So all this stuff was in my suitcase. So the the last few days when I was wandering by myself, I would just give Play-Doh to the kids and I would give people lots of shampoo and lots of little soaps. And so when I left, I thought, I didn't have a whole lot in my suitcase, but I didn't miss it. I I was smiling because I felt so good that I could leave something for them behind that, that they would like. Yeah. 
That is so nice. And and I'm sure you made a big impression on them. And we don't do enough of that. You've always you've been very giving with the flower lady. You were taking flowers to nursing homes and hospitals on for years and years and years. You did that. And that takes a lot of time and energy. But you are always willing to share with others. And even now you bring Afghans to nursing homes and Valentine's Day. You were making little bags for them so that they would have something special. So you're always reaching out. And and see, it comes back to you. See how it comes back yeah. to you. You were rewarded with this trip because you're always out there giving. So I think we we can't be afraid to put ourselves out there. And if you're sitting at home and you're lonely, there's no reason to be lonely. Get out there and volunteer. Get out there yeah. and meet people. And and mm-hmm. special things will happen to you. You mm-hmm. might be offered a trip like Trisha by just being out there and being with people. You never know what will come your way. And and this is a trip that you will never ever forget. Never, never, yeah. ever, ever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us today. I think my Boomer Nation is really going to love hearing about it, and I hope it inspires other people to put themselves out there. And if you want something, ask the universe for it and see what comes of it. Maybe you'll get a special trip like Trisha did. So <laughs> tell my audience where they can. Um, where they can connect with you, where's the best place to be in touch and learn a little bit more because you write wonderful poems. And on LinkedIn, I see them a lot, these special poems that touch everyone's heart. So give us an idea where the best place for my audience to connect with you is. Uh, my website is www.happyflowerday.org. www.happyflowerday.org. That's great. So that's the best place. Yeah. And yeah. There, there's a con- there's a contact box. Also, my email is the happy flower day lady at gmail.com. Oh, T H A the uh-huh. happy flower day lady at gmail.com. At Gmail. That's great. Okay. Yeah. So connect with Trisha if you would like to learn more. Maybe it's uh, the flower project is something you would want to take on since she's not doing it anymore. And all over the country, people were trying to do the same thing all over the United States, I believe. Um, Some Mm -hmm. of the people did get that from you and then did it for themselves in their local area. So there's so many ways to volunteer and give back to people. And, And then it keeps us engaged with other people. We're out there. There's no reason to sit alone in your apartment or whatever and be lonely. There's really no reason. Just put Mm -hmm. yourself out there. So thank you so much for being my guest again today. This was great. And I'm hoping that it inspires other boomers to do similar things. Thank you so much, Terry. You're welcome. Thanks, Trish. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old. This podcast is sponsored by Premier Podcast Productions. Looking to take your podcast to the next level with video? Are you looking to develop a podcast but don't know where to start? From recording and editing to final distribution and marketing, we can help every step of the way to make your podcast stand out and get the results it deserves. Contact us today at premierpodcastpros.com to take your podcast to the next level.